Welcome to Talking Giants, presented by SeatGeek. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner, here with my co-host, Justin Pennick. And the Giants got their defensive coordinator in Wink Martindale. And they got a couple position coaches. We have an interview with Ken McCusick of Film Study Ravens, which is a really good interview. He actually went on another Giants show, but we interviewed him first, so uh, suck it to two of our friends. Um, but just, but we're, we're, we're talking about Wink Martindale and the two position coaches. Justin, how are you doing? Bobby Skinner ton of stuff that's still going on in uh giants land feel like it's gonna slow down after this episode super bowls this sunday excited for that just gonna relax and enjoy football one more time until the month of september and that's kind of kind of sad how are you good like you said I'm, I'm starting to get into draft stuff i watched aiden hutchinson today and he wins every single rep versus penn state so that was exciting even though the giants can't get him uh but getting ready again. And Wink Martindale, we got a good defensive coordinator. Like the most qualified guy that was available for the job outside of Vic Fangio, who really wasn't available. Like available. It seems like he wasn't going to take a DC job. He's taking the year off unless he got a head coaching gig. Um, so we're going to get into all of that. But first, this episode was brought to you by three special people. We got Alec Kosiski, Philadelphia Collins. Oh, good job. I can't do the Philadelphia Collins burp. And then Jonathan and Zwirling. You think there's really someone with the last name Z-W-E-R-I-L-I-N-G? Absolutely. Yes. Well, I know at least one of those people's fake names. Maybe two. Justin, who are these these people, these imposters? These imposters went to patreon.com slash Giants. $2 a month plus some other tiers. You get an opportunity to watch a show and hang out with us live, which we're gonna get to the dog days of the off season. So, you know, Bobby Skinner, you know, maybe we'll we'll have a little bit of time. We're gonna be talking with our Patreon chat. You can ask us questions. Like today, we were talking about uh, our Simple Man Radio episode and who we would have dinner with uh, out of people who are dead. Not um, Hitler. Shout out no, Jonathan Allen. He, no, not not him, dude. I don't want to have dinner with him. And uh, you get an opportunity to win some shirt raffles, and Bobby Skinner will send you some magnet stickers in the mail. Patreon.com slash Talking Giants. Thanks to our favorite people in the world. All right, Justin, the Giants have their head coach, OCDC, and their special teams coordinator. And just before we get into like the nitty-gritty on Wink Martindale, we kind of are pulling from the best teams in the NFL. We got our head mm-hmm. coach from Buffalo, and we got our GM from Buffalo. Like That's good synergy right there, right? We get an offensive coordinator from the Chiefs, who have been the best offense, you know, sustained offense over the last four or five years. And then we get our defensive coordinator, not only from the Ravens, but the defensive coordinator for the Ravens, who has had the team that's had the best defense over the past four years. You know, And by the numbers, the best one from 2018 to 20 before they had a bunch of injuries. So like, we're pulling from the best, and we're going to talk more about Wink Martindale today, but like you got to feel good about the the coordinators for this staff. You know, position coaches, it's a lot harder to judge. Um, but this just the coordinator spots, man. you got to feel really good about what the Giants are doing. Absolutely. And I think there was a little bit of worry towards the beginning. Oh, my gosh. We got the GM from Buffalo. We got the offensive coordinator that's now our head coach from Buffalo. How many guys are we just going to be getting from Buffalo? Look like Ken Dorsey for a hot sec was also going to be from Buffalo, which I would have loved if Ken Dorsey came along, too. But since that point, since we basically found out, okay, it's not going to be Ken Dorsey, everybody else has been, has kind of come from different backgrounds. Sure, their paths might have crossed at some point, um, you know, whether it's, you know, Dable. Dable just brought uh, Tony Soprano uh, Jr. And Soprano. they were. We gotta, you got to get that. We got to get that right. What Did I say Soprano? Yeah. Whoops. Um, Serrano. <laughs> Tony Serrano Jr. And Serrano. So I, I said it, Serrano. Well, you know, though their paths crossed. You're still in, getting it wrong. What am I saying? You're, you said Serrano. It's Sporano with a well, P. Soprano. Damn it, Sperano. Tony Sperano Jr., their paths crossed when Dable was an offense coordinator in Miami. 
getting from great places while also not just getting solely people that you know like the back of your hand. Yeah, I mean, Wing Martindale, there was no there was no crossover between the two. No. None. Yeah. You know, um, and again, Wink Martindale. Let's let's dive into Wink Martindale. He's the most qual. He was the most qualified guy that was available. Vic Fangio yep. wasn't available. He had the best defense in the NFL from 2018 to 20. Can I give you uh, stats on how and why they were the best defense from 2018 to 2020? Go for it. We'll talk about 2021 because I'm sure that's what everybody's screaming. Well, what happened then? What happened then? We'll talk about it. Wink Martindale's defense from 2018 to 2020. Number one in the following categories. <gasps> Yards per game, points per game, opponent's completion percentage, yards per pass attempt, defensive touchdown, second half points allowed. They were number two in the National Football League. An opponent QB rating, fourth down stops, third down percentage, least amount of explosive plays allowed. They were number three in QB hits. Yeah, and they've they've been they've been a dominant defense. And now it's going to be a totally different style. Like uh, we all know, Wink Martindale. Likes to blitz. His blitz rate the last four years was six this past season, which they got they got very injured on the back half. And then the three years before that were all first, first, first. And there was you know in twenty nineteen they did it over fifty percent of the time, which is just unreal. Fifty four point four percent in twenty nineteen, which was around nine percent more than the second place team in the National Football League. This dude likes to. You know, uh, the phrase manufacture pressure, I think that's the that's what Wink Martindale is kind of looking to do. And there's a quote which he kind of talks about that. And listen, I, w- I mean, I wanted Wink Martindale after that season. You know, we were coming off James Betcher, who like had man coverage, you know, corners and a, a roster made to really blitz, and he wouldn't blitz. I wanted Wink Martindale that year. And it's kind of cool as head to look coach. back. You wanted him yeah, as, head, as coach. head coach. Yeah, which is, you know, my last two, for the last two coaching hires, I wanted. Wink Martindale and Brian Dable. I got both of them. Happy for me. Happy for me. Pat myself on the back. Even though I've kind of simmered down on Wink Martindale compared to compared to the 2020 offseason. Let's but again, his his identity is blitzing. So it's going to be different. It's going to be very different than what Patrick Graham did with the Giants. It's very different than if they would have went and got Sean Desai from the Bears or someone from the Vic Fangio tree or even Leslie like a, a Bills guy. Uh, so it's going to be very different. But it does. And we talked about this with Ken McCusick uh, in the interview. It does change. He does adapt. It's not simply just lining up in cover zero, blitz, 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 blitz. It's mainly going to be in cover one and cover three. That single high safety uh, looks. And then when they went against some of the elite receivers, they would do cover two, cover four, and, and try and double guys more often. But again, they're going to give you, they're going to stack the box. They're going to give you unfavorable fronts to run against. Even this past year when their defense was bad, they were the number one rush defense in the NFL. Yeah. Um, now they were the 32nd pass defense, so that's not a ba- that's, that's not the type of balance that you want. But again, they were top 10 in those categories every year the years before that. So it's going to be a lot of blitzing. It's going to be a lot of disguised look. It's going to be a lot of uh, different types of formations. You know, Again, this uh, referencing stuff from the interview, there's going to be times where you don't have an inside linebacker on the field. You're going to have four outside linebackers. You're going to be running a, a lot more dime package, you know, where it's where it's six DBs on the field. There's going to be times where the safety is the one running the show and not the inside linebacker. And there's times where I was very surprised. So I went and watched the the 2021 uh, 2020 divisional playoffs, Bills versus Ravens. So it's like, okay, I want to see Brian Dable versus Wink Martindale. That game they didn't blitz. The mm. Ravens barely blitzed. They they lined up and now they ran man coverage. They lined up in that cover one, but they didn't blitz the Bills and they hold, held that Bills offense to ten points. And in three matchups against Brian Dable, they held them to uh, no more. They they scored no more than seventeen points. So Wink Martindale is a definitely a totally different idea identity than what a Patrick Graham type coach would do. But it does adjust week to week, adding new plays adding new formations, you know, lighting up in different fronts. But the basis of it is blitzing and playing man coverage, which personnel is going to have to change to get to that point where that's really thriving, Justin. Yeah. Some more stats and just some, you know, thoughts that I kind of got compiling the stats. You know, one of the things that I wanted to figure out is what went wrong in 2021 from a stat standpoint. Obviously, it's the injuries. It's the injuries. It's the injuries. Well, how did the injuries impact the way that teams were able to be successful against the Ravens. And that's one of the things that I really tried to do. And it was one really, really common thread. But I'll get to that common thread. Here's the things that were common, even despite a lackluster 2021 season by the Ravens defense. 
Wink Martindale's defense does not have a lot of plays that are run against them. They had the sixth least number of plays run against them in 2021, the 11th least in 2020, the least amount in 2019, and the eighth least in 2018. They had the second least percentage of drives ending in a score in 2018, seventh least in 2019, third least in 2020, and eighth least in 2021. So even though the Ravens' defense, a lot of points, a lot, a lot of big plays, they still had drives where, you know, they were top half of the league in not in percentage of drives that ending are that are ending in a score. That is a positive thing as well. Also, one of the main things that were different, their pressure rate has been historically pretty good. Mid it was mid-pack in 2019. But Wink Martindale, I think, is a guy that cares a lot more about QB hits and pressures than sacks. Yes. 24th in 2021. So that's not necessarily their winning for me. If you're going to be bringing a blitz at such a high rate, you better get home and you better hit the quarterback. Also a common theme, Bobby Skinner. This is probably something that may be a little surprising or it doesn't or it may not surprise you. Even though the Ravens defense was bad this year, especially when you compare it to 2018 to 2020, teams still love to throw the ball against the Baltimore Ravens. They still did have the best rushing defense this year, but 2021, third highest pass rate against. 2020, fourth highest pass rate in the National Football League against. 2019, sixth most. 2018, fifth most. So the only thing, the only really drastic thing statistically that I found that was different from 2018 to 2020 than what made 2021 different, it was the explosive plays. The explosive plays killed them this year. 2018, they were ninth in the National Football League in least right. amount of explosive pass plays. 2019, uh, they were 11th. 2020, they were first. They were number one. 2021, they were 31st, second worst in the National Football League. And that is what killed them this year. They weren't on the field for a lot of plays, but the yards per play was significant. And even though teams couldn't run the ball, well, if you make them one-dimensional and they're throwing the ball and they have success throwing the ball, that is the worst thing. That is a worst thing that a defense can ha- that a quality of defense can have. It's just not being able to stop the pass and not being able to stop the explosive pass play. So I'm going to get your thoughts before I give more of mine. Well, yeah, and that's where you know playing that man coverage kind of screwed them is because they didn't have enough good man coverage corners, which is like you can't scheme a ton of good man coverage. You kind of just have to have good man corners. Um but I will say, in all of that, in 2021, they had the 19th ranked defense scoring wise. You know, I know maybe points per play and points per drive probably a little higher than that because you mentioned you know the the ball control of of the Ravens offense. But at the end of the day, they were 19th in defense, which isn't good. But it wasn't. They didn't. You know, they weren't thir- 30th. You know, they and and he had a track record of being in those top three team, you know, in the top three, you know, the three years before they were second, third, and second in those, um, and they were in those in those same spots as far as yards at well. So it wasn't just just in points. Some of those years they were first in yards. So again, it's blitz heavy, you know, and like you said with the run stuff, teams don't want to run against the Ravens. Why? Because they're going to load that box and they're going to give you some weird fronts that you're not really comfortable running against. Um, and then now, then they're going to line up, and they're going to line up and cover zero, which means we're going to line up as many guys on the line of scrimmage. We're going to play man coverage across the board. And guess what that breeds? That breeds disguised blitzes. That breeds simulated pressures where you're showing a cover zero blitz, but you're popping guys out. And that means you're creating one-on-ones where you usually want to have one-on-ones and like a you know, a six uh, guys blocking four, or it's going to have free rushers because they're going to screw up the protection because they don't know exactly who's coming. And, and it has to be respected because guess what? They will they run the cover zero blitz more than any team in the NFL besides the Dolphins, you know? So they they it's not just a, oh, we're doing a disguised look. No, there's times where they're coming at your ass. And there's times where they'll come at your ass play after play after play. You know, I remember Eli uh, referenced it in the, you know, that Monday Night Football game against the Raiders. He's like, they're running zero like every other single play. Um, so again, there, it takes chances. But again, you they take chances, and like you said, we're the best, you know, near the best in the league at stopping the big play. Yeah. So again, there's gonna be have to be need for personnel changes. I think this scheme fits. Adore Jackson, I think it'll fit. Aaron Robinson's gonna fit. James Bradbury, I wouldn't be as fast to move on from James Bradbury as other people want, but it is interesting to see what he will be. But also, I think Bradbury will be a lot better in man coverage if we're getting to the QB. 
you know, where Bradbury's struggled in man coverage is when we're not getting to the QB and he's got to sustain that, that yeah. coverage for longer than you would you usually need when you're put in man coverage yeah. situations. You mentioned the points per drive, how, you know, hey, I, I you know, the maybe the, the more advanced in terms of rates will say that the Ravens defense was worse. They were 11th best this year in points per drive. You know, the 11th least. And, and again, you don't, you so I I had such a difficulty throughout all this, all this weekend. And after Wink was hired, I'm looking through everything that I like to look at. All the metrics and all the crap that I like to look at. To That's how I kind of base, like, how, how good is a defense and how is a defense performing? Or how is an offense performing against this defense? Well, what are they, what are they really bad at? And really the only thing that I could find that was substantially really, really bad was the explosive plays. Now that's huge. That is a, that's a huge red flag, red mark. It doesn't matter how often you force three and outs. It doesn't matter how often you force field goals, whatever. If you allow those explosive plays, it's just going to boost an offense. It's going to boost an offense and it's going to make the game a lot more harder to win when you allow those big plays. But there was, there's more of a track record where when Wink Martindale has a healthy team around him. They also had very, very talented rosters defensively. They lost that in 2021, and then you saw the results. I mean, they lost it bad, too. Really yeah, bad. Yeah, they, they got dealt about which was, which I think we even mentioned this on during the season in our mailbag pause when people were saying, well, injuries aren't an excuse for the Giants. It's like, well, partly, but also, like, and there's people reference the Ravens. It's like, well, the Ravens haven't necessarily done... They've done better than the Giants because they have better depth, but like the Ravens have fell, fallen way below what their standard is. Like yeah. injuries, injuries were an, an excuse for the Ravens. Yeah. Um, now the Giants just sucked. Like <laughs> their backups were the worst of the worst. But that's a a different point. So, but it is going to be interesting to see how this merges. The, at least year one, you know, because you don't really ha- you don't have the edge room that that Wink Martin wants to have. You got some of the. I think the secondary is actually in a pretty good spot where Logan Ryan's a safety. You could put in man coverage. He played corner. McKinney, I think, feel like fits really well. Ken McCusick even said in the in the interview, he's like, I really wanted Xavier McKinney. I, w- I didn't want Patrick Queen. You know, so I, I, it's going to be interesting to see how this merges from yeah. a Patrick Graham defense and a Wink Martindale, which over the past two years have been polar opposites. So I have a really good quote, and then we'll talk maybe about specifically how we can see the Giants attacking what you know positions they're going to target, how they value certain players. I want as many cover CBs as you can have because the game is a passing game now. I think sacks are one of the most superficial rankings there is. My philosophy is I'd rather have a corner that can cover than a guy who can rush because I'll get, I'll get us guys who can hit the QB. So again, that's why I start off the show saying manufacture pressure, where I think that's almost like a... It's almost like a buzzword. Well, what does that exactly mean? I do think Wink Martindale, based off this quote and then looking at, hey, they let guys like Yannick Ngakwe walk. They let Matthew Judon walk without, you know, they traded for Ngakwe, but they let him walk. You know, they they let guys come in the building and then they go and they draft guys like, you know, away from Penn State. And it's like, well, this guy's kind of raw and he can't really, does, maybe doesn't do much, but he comes out and he's somewhat productive for them. He is going to, it's his responsibility to get to the quarterback but he needs to trust that back-end secondary to take care of their business. And that has really kind of shifted and changed my priorities on kind of what I feel the Giants need. And I'm still like in this limbo of really wanting that elite pass rusher, but does Wink Martindale need that elite pass rusher? Like Patrick Graham, I thought, really needed it, and it would have been really cool for him to have it. Does Wink Martindale need that, or does he need just athletes? He definitely doesn't need it like a, a Fangio. It's crazy how Graham transitioned to, like, in a sense, like a, a, that, you know, the too high, bend, don't break defense, which that's not what he was before, you know. Um, but, but like, those defenses are made by their elite pass rushers, you know, like having that one. Um, now, Fangio was better at scheming up uh, pressure. Um, but, like, Staley, you know, Staley, who was with the Rams and the Chargers, like, he relied, the Chargers weren't a good defense, but, like, that charge that Rams defense isn't nowhere near as good able to do what it does without Aaron Donald in the middle. Right. I mean, um, saying uh, Chargers got a uh, Joey Bosa too. So, yeah. Now, do you have like much more on Wink? Because I actually want to have a conversation that isn't necessarily like right, like necessary for today about James Bradbury. 
Yeah, I, my mind now goes to the players of, I'm excited for Julian Love because if they're going to be running the single high stuff, Julian Love goes back to that 2019 role that he had and where he's like in the box, maybe, right? Because I think Jabril Peppers is probably going to be moved on from. Peppers but has got to be gone. Jabril Peppers, I mean, in a way. He's coming if, off an injury too. If he's if he wasn't coming off of an injury and he had an extra year on his contract, how pumped would we be for Jabril Peppers that he gets to go back in the box again? But I think Julian Love can easily fill that role. I mean, I think his best quality as a defensive player is his tackling. Um, you know, not necessarily his coverage. So I'm excited to see what what he can do in this defense. Um, Xavier McKinney, yes. Yeah, so let's have a conversation about Bradbury and whoever. Well, this is just more about cap space in general because the Giants are getting ready to clear cap space. I'm starting to get a little bothered by the idea of moving on from guys like Bradbury, Blake. I know. Even guys like Slayton and and Gates have been thrown in there. And Saquon not being the automatic number one on that list. Correct. That's going to frustrate me so much. And let's just like add it up to seven mil. If you got Nick Gates two and a half, Slayton two and a half. And I don't know one other you know one mil guy. It's like I would rather have all three of those guys over Saquon Barkley, mm-hmm. and especially all three of those guys together. And I would much rather have James Bradbury than Saquon Barkley. I would much rather have Blake Martinez than Saquon Barkley. It's, and now, now don't get me wrong. Maybe those guys get traded and they'll have more trade value than Saquon Barkley. I don't know if Blake would because of just like persona around the league. Because you know there's a you know from his Green Bay days. Bradbury definitely probably would have a higher trade market than Saquon. And how much money is Brad? Brad isn't Bradbury getting like twenty one million this year? They would save like they would save like thirteen million cap space. It's all about the roster bonus. And I was talking with you know Patricia Training has done work on the caps the cap space stuff, and you know it's the roster bonus that's really going to kill the Giants. And that's partially why if they were to move on from Bradbury, it's to avoid that roster bonus that probably what is a kick in new league year March. So. But don't move on from James Bradbury and keep Saquon Barkley. I agree. Yeah. That would be so frustrating. Saquon, yep. and again, you know, not to get too mailbaggy on you, but Saquon Barkley should be the easiest no-brainer move to move on from. We talked about it in mailbag pod after mailbag pod, and it's not personal against Saquon Barkley. I root for him. I watch his highlights. I think he's he can make it this past year. He didn't, but he does make a difference from a spot where you don't make a ton of difference you know, at the running back spot. Like, he did make differences. He did add wins to the Giants, even though the Giants didn't get a lot of wins. But there's just, they're kind of in a no-win situation with him, where if he balls out, well, then you got to pay him. Then you, if he comes in and balls, which he's very capable of doing, then you got to pay him. And I, I don't think we any of us want to be in a spot where we're paying Saquon Barkley. And you don't want to, if you want to trade him, you shouldn't wait until the trade deadline. Stop, that's not going to happen. And then what happens if he gets hurt again? Then you're then he, he, or or if he sucks, then you just let him walk for essentially nothing. I just feel like we're in a no win while we're rebuilding to keep Saquon. If we were if we were a playoff contender, Super Bowl contender, I would understand it. But this year is very clearly about rebuilding. Saquon Barkley should be the easiest one to move on from, and he might have some of the best trade value just off of off of his name alone. Yeah, and this is the NFL where you're going to have your most value in the off season, where you can come in and have a program with the team versus you know if you're traded week seven. Or when you know the week before the trade deadline. Okay, great. You know that's that's just how I think the NFL works. It's not like baseball or basketball where you can just step in and be like, "All right, I'm here." And you're gonna tell Saquon Barkley who's balling at the like like that would be the best case scenario if he starts he balls the first half of the season and you trade him. So you're gonna take a Saquon who's playing really well and you're gonna trade him at the deadline. Like we forget that these are human beings and that's not how stuff works in real life. Here's my rebuttal to you about Bradbury, though. Like, I, I 100% agree with you about the whole prioritizing, like, hey, let's let's get all these guys out of here that actually contribute to the team, and somehow that we worked that out to keep Saquon, who, I'm sorry, did not contribute to the team in 2021. I love Bradbury. He's not a great fit for this Wink defense. He's not. I mean, I made the observation during the season that whenever Bradbury makes his game-changing plays, it is when he is covering the men in his zone, not trailing guys in man coverage. Uh, He got beat last year on trailing guys in man coverage on crossing routes and on streaks down the field. That's when he got beat, and they were bad, and they were really bad plays. But the plays that he made that were great, making plays on the football, jumping routes, interceptions, 
That is when he is anticipating routes and he's able to sit in a zone, make a play on the football, make a play on a ball carrier. That's when he's best. And I don't know if Wink Martindale is going to put him in that same position this year. I, I don't know and I don't think so. We'll see. Now, James Bradbury, I, want to, I don't want to act like James Bradbury is bad in man coverage. He's just much better fit in one of those in those zone schemes. But are but you going to pay somebody listen, I would over, be will, I'm willing no, listen, to trade listen. Bradbury, but I don't want to cut yeah. him. Bradbury has yeah. trade value. Yeah, are you going to pay someone north of $20 million, including that roster bonus, to be not a top-tier corner? <sighs> Who's to say that he won't be, though? Because he's, he's not a solely man coverage corner, and that's what Wink is going to run. It's tough, I know. But, but it's, it's but, so but, tough. Hey, but but Wink runs a lot of cover three, which looks like man coverage, and we did that in twenty twenty. And we and did James that. Bradbury in 20... was elite. Yeah. Okay. Fair. So it's 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 you know, I, I I'm just not I'm not cutting I'm not getting rid of James Bradbury for nothing is what I'm saying. If you want to okay. trade him, he has he's going to have good trade value. Then do it. But I'm not just cutting James Bradbury just to clear cap space. That's fair. Yeah. If you want to make an argument for Blake, okay, maybe. But James Bradbury is too good of a player to just cut for cap space. Yeah, And that makes me worry because I do think that there's a good chance that both Bradbury and Blake are gone. So again, where does this leave the defense and where does this leave certain roster decisions that they make this offseason? Yeah, we'll see. But we got, we got a lot of time to talk about that. Let's um quickly go through the two new positions. There's another position coach. We don't know what he's going to be coaching yet. Um, and we're going to talk about these position coaches and Justin's going to read an ad. By the yes. way, John Boy called me. Should I call him back live on air? Why not? Let's it's talk probably Manscaped. something important. He doesn't call me Manscaped for no reason. Yeah. Okay, Bobby Skinner is... Hopefully uh, I'm not in trouble. How do you view love in your life? Do you like uh, love? I, I do. Do you believe in love? Uh, after love, I do. Do you believe in life after love? You believe in love after love. Feel so good All right, go ahead. Read the damn ad. So did, did you know, also, little fun fact here, most babies are made during the wintertime. Did you know that? I'm in Florida. That doesn't apply to me. Well, I, I looked it up before we recorded this show. I figured it out. And Valentine's Day, February 14th, it's going to be a crisp, cool 28 degrees high, 17 degrees low. So guess what? February 13th, it's National Trim Those Pubes Day. National Trim Those Pubes Day. And you can do that with Manscaped. Roses are red, violets are blue. Don't let a wild pube wreck you. Valentine's Day is just around the corner. It's going to be cold, so you're going to want to spend it inside. You're going to want to be nice and cozy. Spend it with our sponsors, Manscaped. Or at least spend it the night before Valentine's Day with Manscaped. They're here for you with the best tools to get your balls ready for this special occasion. This V-Day, it's time to join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming, with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com, use code GIANTS for 20% off plus free shipping. What is this? I just grabbed a random product, 2-in-1 shampoo and conditioner. Have it on my dresser because I already have Another bottle in the shower that I'm currently using, but I have this as a backup. Also have the body wash that is infused, smells just like my cologne. It's a perfect complement to that. Don't forget to smell good. Not only around your balls, they made a secret Manscaped refined cologne. So I got to get the cologne. I have other cologne. Got to get the refined Manscaped cologne. It'll complement your collection with smell perfection. So what I want you to do is I want you to get 20% off from free shipping with code GIANTS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Then use code GIANTS. Join Cupid and shoot your arrow with Manscaped this Valentine's Day. Use code GIANTS. Get ready for Valentine's Day. Get laid. How about that? Just going to go out and say it. Get laid. Vic, Vic Fangio is going to meet with the 49ers. So maybe we're, I was totally misguided in my... My Vic Fangio guessing. All right, let's talk about these position coaches real quick. Andre Patterson, uh, the D-line coach. He's been the Vikings D-line coach for the last uh, eight years. And in the last couple years, he's been added assistant head coach and then co-defensive coordinator. This seems like a slam dunk hire. And again, it's hard to judge positional coaches. But he is loved. This guy is loved and adored by his peers uh, and, and including his players. And, you know, he's worked. As, I listened to some interviews with him, the way he talks about run fits and uh, – you know, the way, like, yeah, you play a guy like Kyler Murray different than you do Lamar Jackson, which isn't the most deep stuff, but, like, he's out, like, he puts his stuff out there and is really honest and seems like a, just a really humble guy. 
And the Vikings have been top five in sacks three of the last four years. Um, and most of that generated from the defensive line. Uh, when you watch the Vikings D-line, they are very powerful and they use their hands really well. Like they really bring their hands to the, the party. And I feel like that's something that is a coaching, like, hey, hands, 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 hands. I feel like that's a, a big coaching uh, thing. And just like, let's look at an example with the Giants. The Giants signed a Fetty Odenabo, a million dollars guaranteed. Our edge room was trashed and he couldn't even make the team. Andre Patterson was able to get seven and a half sacks out of that guy in one single season. Oh, that was a mic drop right there. Yeah, Andre Patterson. Uh, I feel like every coaching staff needs to have like a resident old dude. And Burton Burns was the resident old dude. He was too old. Previous coaching staff. Patterson's 61, but he's legit. He started as a graduate assistant in 1982 with Montana. And he's every single year, he's been working in football, working in football, started with the Patriots in 97 as a defensive line coach, was with 1998-1999 with the Vikings, eventually makes his way back with the Vikings in 2014. And he's literally been their D-line coach since. <laughs> and then he was defensive coordinator in 2021. Vikings fans wanted him to get like a head coaching interview and like be the head coach. Yeah, saw some saw some comments in the Schefter tweet about saying how this was like their best positional coach that they had on the previous staff. So good, cool. Yeah, and I, I was looking through like the videos and stuff, and and the, I was looking at some like people who do Viking stuff, and they were talking about like why Andre Patterson deserves uh, a shot at head coach. You know, not give it to him, but like deserves to at least be interviewed and taken as a serious interview for the job. Um, and we're getting this guy as our D line coach. Like it's. If, you know, if, if Wink Martin, the Daler go down, like he would be my, like, okay, let's bring it. Let's, let's give him a shot at DC. Like he's at least done the co-DC role with the Vikings. Maybe Jerome Henderson as well. But yeah, he seems like, I mean, he just is loved by everyone who's been around him. And it's, which is, it doesn't always mean you're a good coach, but to be that long and to be around that long and still be loved like that, it does mean something. He worked for Mike Zimmer, Mike Shanahan. Kevin O'Connell, Dennis Green, Butch Davis, Pete Carroll, and Dave Camp Campo. Butch Davis, baby. Um, so yeah, Andre Patterson. Welcome, welcome to the New York Giants and get these guys using their hands. I'm excited to see what he does with Leonard Williams. Yes, that's that's really that's really the the big thing is, you know, can can Dexter break out? Can he get get back to what he was doing in in, in 2020? Can Leonard Williams re, regain the form, you know, in the year 2020? You know, that that's going to be, you know, we're talking about these positional coaches. Yeah, they're good. They have experience. For me, kind of with all these positional coaches, besides O-line coach, because you have to analyze them a little bit more, let's see players develop a little bit more. Let's see these players step up and perform like they're actually going to perform. Because I feel like we did, we almost did the same thing with Joe Judge's positional coaches. Like, yeah, look at where this guy came from, blah, blah, blah. Let me see it. I'll judge you how your players play. Yeah, and again, it's hard to judge. Even if they don't play well, it's hard to judge a position coach, you know? Yeah. Like, I remember the 2019 O-line. It's like, Hal Hunter is a horrible O-line coach, which he may very well may be, but it's like, I don't know how much I can blame this on Hal Hunter because – Nick Gates popped in as a backup and played tackle better than Nate Solder did. You know, is, is yeah. that is and that guy's the went from a UDFA to this. Um, so do we does Hal Hunter get credit for that? Like, or is it a lot of times it's just players? But again, it's it's hard to judge those guys now. And then they got a wide receiver coach, Mike Grow, uh, spelled G R O H, who was been he's the Colts wide receiver coach the last two years. He was the Eagles OC for two years and. Uh, fun fact, the Eagles, the year he left, their Eagles offense went franked from 12th to 26th, and they got more healthy. Uh, Eagles wide receiver coach in 2017 was the Rams wide receiver coach and passing game coordinator 2016. The Bears was the Bears from 2013 to 15. Alabama from 11 to 12. And then uh, before that, he was in college with Louisville as a QB coach. Virginia, he was an OC at Virginia. Uh, his dad actually was a coach for the for the Giants for uh, in the 90s. Uh, and, and, and the coach at, you know, was the head coach at Virginia. So, uh, I couldn't find much on him. You can look at, you know, the growth of Michael Pittman Jr. with the Colts. Yeah, I was, that's what I was going to bring up. I was like, was there a wide receiver? Is, was Michael Pittman Jr. supposed to be like a dude? Uh, I think Michael Pittman's done good for a second round pick. He's had 88 catches last year. Yeah. And he, with uh, a, with a team that likes to run the ball in a bad QB. In 2020, he only played in eight games, but he had 40 catches. So 
Yeah, Michael Pittman's been a success. He hasn't been like a superstar, but he's been a success at wide receiver. Yeah. Um, I again hard to find stuff on these guys. I did find a quote of him talking about the value of having a diverse wide receiver group, which the New York Giants have the like that. You know, their top two wide receivers, Kenny Galladay and, and Kadarius Tony, assuming Sterling Shepard's not gone, and even then he would fit the role kind of because he's somewhere in the middle of those two guys. You, you're not going to find a two more opposite uh, top receivers than Kadarius Tony and Kenny Galladay. I mean, they're literally the exact opposite type of wide receivers. So, interesting. And listen, this wide receiver group, and I don't think they're done. Like, I think there's going to be someone added to the wide receiver room. Like, I'm kind of excited to see what they can do with a competent offensive coordinator, with Brian Dable, with Mike Kafka, getting these guys up in the space. Like, if there's any position group with all these new coaches that I'm the most excited for, it really is the wide receiver group. Like, I'm excited. Like, Kenny Galladay, we talked about it on our award show, but it's like, Kenny Galladay definitely had an underwhelming season, but I don't think anyone looks at that this past year, like, Kenny Galladay's a bad wide receiver. You know, or he, like he, some can't be a, he can't be a number one wide receiver. Kadarius Tony, when he's healthy, he's electric. Uh, you know, uh, Slayton, I'm kind of just like over over at this point, but I also don't want to throw him away for nothing. Uh, you know, if, if we need to clear cast space, I get it. But uh, I, I'm excited for Kenny Gold and Kadarius Tony, and there's a chance they add someone in the third round or whatever in the draft too. Yeah, yeah, I hope I, I, I hope they do. And again, I, everything is just centered around that scheme and common theme of this coaching staff again i talked about you know how uh you know <laughs> i talked about how old andre andre patterson is um you know mike Rowe, i mean he's he's 50 years old and you know this isn't a guy that kind of came from college i mean he did spend from 2001 to 2012 he was in the college ranks but I mean, this is a guy with two years of with offense coordinator experience where his teams went nine and seven and he was 18th in points one year and 12th in points the next year. So, I mean, that's not dog shit, terrible offenses. This is a coaching staff that has a lot of experience and it's qualified experience where that is different from the previous coaching staff where it's, Hey, we're going to bring in college guys and where everybody is going to be friends with each other and everybody's connected in some way. Let's see if it works. That's how it's different. Will it work? I don't know. Hopefully it does, but at least it seems like, you know what? This seems like a good sound process. Yeah. They're not just getting their buddies. Uh Correct. You know, which at the same time, like there is a value in making relationships and going to guys you know. Um, and in fact, if Joe Judge was able to do that at OC, I think we might look at his coaching staff a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, but it, it we didn't. So again, they're they're not they're they're going and trying to get the best guys available. And then assistant offensive line coach Tony Sperano, uh not Soprano or uh, Serrano, it's Sperano Jr. Sorry. Was the Panthers' assistant O line coach in 2021? Was in the same spot with the Jacks for the the four previous years. Was a Bills tight end coach from 2015 to 16. Then he worked with the Jets as an intern and assistant. Was with the Dolphins in 2011 as an offensive quality control coach. That's where the Brian Dable, uh, uh, you know, uh, connection I guess comes from. Even though it's like, how much were those guys actually involved with each other, and how much is it? How much? How much if from that relationship is this being drawn from? I don't know. But to me, this just is like, okay, Ben Wilkerson's gone, who we don't have any. I don't think we have an opinion, positive or negative, about Ben Wilkerson, but he did survive a long time for the Giants. He just yelled at people at training camp in Massachusetts, and I like that. He ripped – I remember him ripping guys at the Tampa Bay game when I walked – when I went down towards the bottom with LPG at the end. He was ripping Yeah, big them. yeller. He's a big yeller. Yeah. Um, Going to miss that. And Keen, our, our friend of the show, Keenan Forney, like, was his teammate and loved him. So um, we, we lose that connection, I guess. Uh, Tony Sperano's son. When I first saw it at first, I was like, Tony Sperano? I was like, oh, Tony Sperano passed away. Tough. Tough. All right, Justin. Before we get into this beautiful interview with Ken McCusick of Film Study Ravens. Great interview. Like, this is Mrs. Must Listen. The moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. Did you know, Justin, that if you put the entire world's population in Texas living in the density of New York City, it like they would fit? Sure. I think that's Look what makes Texas great and New York great. 
If Sportsbook isn't in your state yet, play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. New customers can get a free shot at $1 million top prize with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, use promo code JOHNBOY, and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code JOHNBOY at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. 21 plus minimum age and locations requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for four lists of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited gambling pod call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call or text the Tennessee red line 1-800-889-9789 in Connecticut. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. We don't got a lot of time. We'll fix racism on the next episode. Here's Ken McCusick of Film Study Ravens. Come on, pay attention in there. Let's go. We got a beautiful day. Work. Play fast. Play fast. Whoa. Ah. All right, we now welcome onto the program Ken McCusick. He covers uh, the Ravens, does a lot of film analysis. Just talking before the show, I was like, okay, this guy. This guy knows his stuff and he's going to bring some stuff. He does film analysts. Uh, he's a film analyst for the 1057 The Fan. Ken, the Giants got Wink Martindale, and we're going to talk about ins and outs. But, like, I want to key it, key it off with what happened for Wink to have, you know, three really good defenses, and then last past season they were riddled by injuries, and obviously I'm sure there's things he could have done better. But what happened to there be a Ravens fallout to where a guy who was getting head coaching interviews is now, you know, gone from the Ravens? Yeah, surprising, I think, to Ravens analysts, and I appreciate having you on, but having me on. But uh, it's one of these things that, that uh, we didn't see it coming. A lot of people saw Greg Roman, you know, as potentially out the door, but, but uh, very few people thought Martindale was at risk. Uh, he was on the last year of a four-year contract, sorry, a five-year contract. And so an extension would have been the normal Ravens thing to do. They normally extend their coaches before their last season. For whatever reason, somebody in the Ravens organization didn't want to do that. I assume it's, it's with Harbaugh. If I map this back to the previous understanding with Dean Pease, um, Harbaugh actually forced some defensive changes on Dean Pease in his last year. And the big one was Dean Pease in his first five years with the Ravens played a total of 3% dime defense. Okay, In his last year with the Ravens, it was up into the 20s. So it was one of these things where, where Harbaugh actually made some comments during camp about how every defensive back needs to be able to move up into that dimebacker position. We're going to try a lot of people there. And that kind of forced the hand. Anthony Levine, by the way, had a great year um, and, and became the Ravens' best dimeback ever in 2018 uh, in Martindale's first year. So it, it really played well to that strategy. Um, Mar- Martindale, anyway, uh, you're you, – you, in terms of what really went wrong, I don't think it's all Harbaugh and I don't think it's all Wink. I think the combination of circumstances said Wink said, well, I don't really want to play the last year of this contract here if I could instead coach on a five-year deal somewhere else. So if you really don't want me, you, you, you just let me go right now. And there's a defensive rebuild coming in Baltimore that's fairly obvious with the, the age of this unit. So um, that, that obviously would potentially have some pain that came with it. This past season, obviously the defense wasn't good, but he had you know three years where the defense was top notch. And the thing you look at from the outsider's point of view is like they blitzed the piss out of people. You know, led the league in blitzing three years in a row. Still, were six highest this past season. But how did Wink adjust, or did he not adjust with all these injuries? And was that part of the downfall, or was it simply just the players? Well, it's there. There's a lot of different game plans, and game plan is definitely very much mapped to quarterback with Wink. Now, you start with a guy who's very aggressive, and you you mentioned that uh, who definitely blitzes more than other guys do, and he basically tries to dial down blitz to the level that will protect his back end. Whereas Pease before him was a guy who just liked to dial up to the minimum boiling level of pressure in order to protect his back end. Two very different philosophies, but you can deal with either. What you'll see with Wink is um, he really likes flexibility of outside linebackers who can drop the cover. And with Matt Judon and uh, Ty Bowser, he had two of the best in the NFL. Ty Bowser, probably the single best coverage outside linebacker in the NFL. Matt Judon before him was also outstanding. Um, so those guys really uh, 
generated a lot of the pass rush versatility, a lot of the ability to rush the slot corner safeties or inside linebackers by their coverage ability. And so it gave the Ravens all sorts of flexibility there. Um, I think he'll aim for that with the Giants. He, he'll try and get that. I don't know who the Giants' current outside linebackers are that have that ability right now. Who would that be? Well, they have a Z. They tried to build him. Patrick Graham liked to do that. So he has an Aziz Ojolari, uh, Quincy Rush, young guys, Lorenzo Carter, but he's probably he's on it. He was on an expiring deal. But Aziz Ojolari is really their only edge they have right now, who is a part of the future that they can really bank mm-hmm. on. And he's one of those guys who can drop back and you know, like he he he's actually one of the best scheme fits it seems for uh, for us for for Wink. All right. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if they go out to the market and they try and find one of these guys. They're usually very undervalued because they don't have a lot of pressures in total. They don't have a lot of sacks in total. Some people say outside linebackers hate to play for the Ravens because it'll mute their sack totals and, you know, to have them dropping into dropping into coverage. But the Ravens may go out and I sorry, the Giants may go out and find somebody to fit uh, Martindale's scheme because it's it's. you know, it really makes sense to do so. I think that that the other thing you get with Martindale is you get a tremendous variety of schematic pressure. So I always say there are four-man pressures and there are four-man pressures. If you only rush the quarterback with four, you can do it with a straight four-zero, meaning you're just showing the guys, you're showing exactly who from the down lineman. Or you can you can zone blitz and you can do all sorts of other things with stunts. Uh, you can you can uh, have six of the line of scrimmage and drop two of those. You can do all sorts of things to to, to rush four. Martindale does a lot of deceptive pressure elements. So simulated pressure you'll see a lot of, I would expect, a lot of uh, linebackers in the A-gap. I think you'll see a, a lot of off-ball blitzing, which is a fair amount of, of what happens. And, and you, you see the distinction I'm making, that the blitz numbers that you'll get that'll show like the Ravens blitz 35% of the time or whatever it is, all that's looking at is the straight number of pass rushers. But what's what's really interesting is the amount of deception that goes with that with Wink. And he'll mix that up by quarterback, and, and you'll see very different patterns of what they do. So if the quarterback gets rid of the ball quickly, he won't do a lot of stunts. If the quarterback is, is a guy who, uh, you know, is very uncomfortable with uh, getting moved off the spot, you'll see all sorts of deception types used and not necessarily numbers, but, but lots of deception types. So it's very adaptable to the scheme. Yeah. And I wasn't really expecting to see that with Wink. You know, I, I watched, I actually, you know, the Giants hired Brian Dable, and I kind of had the, you know, from the outside in was like, okay, Winks, he's got a scheme. He sticks to it. He blitzes. He's a lot of cover zero. And I went back and watched that Bills-Ravens divisional game because I want, okay, let me mm-hmm. see my, my my head coach versus my defensive coordinator. And they didn't blitz really at all in that game, you know, especially towards the start. There's a lot of four-man rush, like you said, some simulated stuff, and then cover one. I was, you know, I was getting ready to see all these these wink blitzes. And like mm-hmm. you said, they were playing against a QB who held on to the ball a little longer. So they're sending stunts and simulating pressure and then just playing man coverage, cover one, doubling, uh, doubling digs a lot. So I was kind of surprised to see that like, oh, this guy does change more than I thought on a week to week basis. Yeah, it's a good point you're making about the back end because they've done some things this year and particularly in the division with Jamar Chase there, uh, who exploded on him in the first game in Baltimore. They really tried a lot of Randy Moss type coverages where you put a safety directly over the top of wherever he is covered and and really try and double him that way. And they haven't done that in a long time versus versus pretty much any receiver, but they did it uh, this year against Chase. And they did also against, I'm blanking on this. I've heard Matt Bowen talk about them doing it against Devontae Adams, I think. Yes, 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 that's the one. <laughs> so yeah, they've, it's it's definitely, it happened uh, more than once this year. And, and they've got some big receiving threats in the division now that the Ravens may have to keep that as part of the new defen- defensive uh, coach's game plan. What goes into him stopping the run? I mean, it's they were first and stop and and in the rush defense this year, thirty second in the pass. Obviously, the injuries have to do with that. But what goes into them stopping the run besides having some just dogs in the middle like Calais Campbell and, and other players? Yeah, Calais Campbell and Brandon Williams. Brandon Williams didn't have too good a year as PFF would have would have scored it. But Brandon Williams, whenever he's out of there, the run defense very much suffers. So you know. It, it, since most NFL teams like to run out of 11 personnel now as opposed to 21 or 12, the uh, 11, how you stop the run with a nickel is dependent upon six, six positional players. Your two inside defenders, your two outside linebackers, and your two inside linebackers. And your two outside linebackers, they better be able to set the edge well. And the Ravens generally have done a good job of that. Your two inside guys better be able to take some doubles and also penetrate as needed. And the Ravens have had that you know, for years 
and years. And Ravens, by the way, until 2017, I believe it was, never allowed 4.0 yards per rush in a season in their history, which is really incredible. I, which is I think. insane because, like, the <laughs> if you allow 4.0 just itself, that's a really good run defense. That's yeah. that's that's wild to see, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> in the, the 2012 season, it actually came down to the last kneel. Uh, the, the Bengals won the last game of the season. The Ravens were were already in the playoffs and. And they uh, they knelt out on the last play and actually dropped them to 3.994 from just over four. So it's kind of an interesting uh, little thing. But but uh, yeah, the Ravens at inside linebacker obviously have been strong too. So they've they've their hallmark of their defense really been able to stop the run with a six man box, and uh, and you know they've been very effective at that over their history. Giants tried to do a lot of it this past season, but once Blake Martinez went down, it it was it was tough, and that's why they went from one of the better teams to stopping the run. Um, and and Patrick Graham changed to a lot more too high looks, kind of with where the like changed with the league a little bit. So that's what my question is: is now he's, he's joining a Giants team, which is going to have, like you said, we you asked about the edge guys. They have Aziz Ojolari, who you know doesn't have the highest ceiling, and that's that's about it up front as far as pass rushers. Leonard Williams in the middle is pretty good, but mm-hmm. um, and then their corners they have two really good ones in James Bradbury and Dory Jackson. But I don't think anyone describes those guys as man to man or press man corners. How do you see Wink adjusting to some more zone type corners and right now an edge room that's really, really like bottom of the league weak? Yeah, it's not what the the Ravens have had in terms of the Ravens very much built back to front with Peters and Humphrey at corner, even though obviously both those guys were ended up getting hurt this year. So it's 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 not quite the same. How has McKinney's development been? Because I'll tell you right now that he was right a guy I I, I loved in the draft, and he's the guy I wanted instead of Patrick Queen at 28. Okay. See, he oh. – I was very critical of him. Uh, you know, he was hurt a lot of his rookie year, and then the start this season, mm-hmm. he wasn't playing really well, but no one was talking about it because the deep safety doesn't show up on TV, you know? Like, he, mm-hmm. they were playing a lot of quarters, and he was blowing that. Uh, you know, he, he left the, the middle open a few times. And then about five, six weeks in, it just started clicking for him, and he became like the defensive player of the year for the Giants and really started playing with his instincts more and understanding, you know, how to match, uh, you know, match, uh, you know, pattern matching and, and things like that. So his development was one of the few bright spots for the Giants this past season. Here's my question, because I loved him as a center fielder, uh, even more than Delpit uh, coming out of that draft. But does he play the overthrow well at the pro level? Meaning, it, does he, when he brackets, does he bracket loose or does he bracket like a guided missile heading for the, heading for the, wide receiver from behind like bracket too close so one way you have a higher interception rate the other way you maybe get a few more passes defense by jarring the ball loose but it's at the cost of turnovers they did a lot of too high stuff um most of his turnovers were like you said those underneath ones but there's a couple ones where he like you said he's playing loose and over the top um he kind of like has done a good job of both to be honest like he's been a pretty impressive player where, like you said, like you said, there's some safeties who are bam, bam, go, go, go. And then the other ones who maybe don't have the turnover plays who are playing over the top more, but stopping some big plays. Like he kind of found that good mix of both this past year. Like he's been an impressive player. And I wasn't really the highest on him, uh, you know, honestly, coming out of Alabama. Yeah. Uh, it's a shame. I, I, if we, we did a draft show and I could not hide my disdain for the pick very well. We're on one of these video things. We never do video, but but, you know, but we did for this thing. And, and uh, you know, everybody's asking, Ken, are you all right? Kind of thing <laughs> and whatnot. But uh, I really hated the queen pick. Uh, see, I, we, uh, I, I like Patrick. I'm, I'm getting better at the stress. I like Patrick Queen and I, I thought he'd be a good fit for the Ravens, but it seems like he's, from what you said before the show it hasn't been working. How much cover zero is Wink actually running? Like is, you know, I, we watch it on, you know, I watched them on prime time and, you know, it seemed like they pulled it out a lot against the Ravens in that opening game of the year. Like how much is that like him running it or is it, and how much of it is just like reputation at this point? Uh, I think there's a little sum of both. I mean, he likes to, he likes to put the inside linebackers in the box, but the Ravens big weakness in terms of pass defense is right in the middle of the field with those inside linebackers. So he can't afford to play too much. That is not, uh, you know, at least cover one. Uh, they probably did more of it in the past in 18, 19 and 20, uh, particularly when, when, uh, LJ Fort was on the field and they had a dime back in Clark in 19 that they really trusted, um, they, they haven't they haven't really had the good set of players 
since then. But uh, you know, it's one of the one of the good things about uh, Martindale, and this could this could play well with the Giants too. Is he's not afraid to move the the green dot to a safety if that's where it belongs. Okay. So it could that's be McKinney or or it could be a strong safety. And the reason is that he wants the full flexibility to get his inside linebackers off the field. And Baltimore is a good reason for it because they can't cover at all. Not only can they not cover, they have no ability to uh, understand at all what's going on behind them. So they really are, are, are just not good. Josh Bynes is the only one who kind of does, and, he, and he's a limited physical player, older guy, obviously, in the league, and yet they bought him in twice in the last three years to fix their inside linebacker position when it was broken. So it's, <laughs> it's really kind of funny that they've had to rely on a guy like that. But, uh, but Martindale will, will, uh, will want to get his inside linebackers off the field in a lot of plays. And I think in the coming year, this means the Ravens will play a lot of quarter. They played about 22 snaps of it or something this year. But, uh, but a team like the Giants, I wouldn't be surprised if they take them both off and, and you see two safeties in there for some plays. Okay. I'll finish off with this. Is there anything like with Wink that – Giants fans should know that, you know, like only from a Ravens point of view and, and especially you doing study film study that like most people want to be able to key in on. It's the extreme packages come around. I mean, you know, a lot of people call NASCAR. I, I, I like to kind of differentiate a little bit, but, but Wink is the first Ravens defensive coordinator who ever put four outside linebackers on the field at the same time. And in fact, he put five outside linebackers on the field at one time for some plays in 2018. And he had this remarkable success with it, but only did it for six snaps. And then they brought it back in 2019. The Ravens, of course, very dominant defense, very dominant offense in terms of usually having the lead. They ended up playing 13.2% of their snaps with four outside linebackers and only 10.6% in their base defense. So that's the kind of extreme package uh, fit the situation. Obviously, you're fitting a lead too there. You, if you got a 25 point lead, you, you're you're comfortable, you know, sending your four pass rushers out and letting them hunt down after down. But very very extreme packages for very extreme circumstances. You see, the other thing too is that if the if a team is really good at 01 or 10 personnel and they really have a, a, a four good wide receivers, he has no problem putting four corners on the field in the dime package. But he also uh, generally prefers to play a bigger dime, which is either four safety, sorry, three safeties and uh, three corners, or with a quarter with four safeties and three corners. Well, I'm taking notes listening to you right now. Look, uh, you know, look, look out for these four or five outside linebacker packages. Yeah. My breakdown stuff. Ken, where can people find you? And I, again, I really appreciate you coming on and giving us some time. No problem. Happy to do it, Bobby. I, I'm on uh, filmstudybaltimore.com is my website. Come on over there. There's all kinds of stuff about Martindale a whole season. I, I, you know, I write a defensive article every week. Came out, came out on Monday, a podcast to go with it. So if Giants fans want to like look back and see what Wink did, all kinds of package specificity is in the article. All kinds of pass rush specificity, including the deception, would be the thing I think your listeners might have interest in. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to tweet that out, and our listeners will eat that up. So, Ken, again, I appreciate you giving us a few minutes. All right, take it easy, buddy. Hey, Sean, you better hope I never get back in there. I will kick your <laughs> Hey, baby, let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. All right, thank you, Ken McCusick, for, for coming on the show. That's an episode. Justin, should we reveal who our Tuesday interview is going to be? Since there's not going to be any big enough news to kick this interview, right? I kind of forgot about this and i already edited it and it's already ready yeah let's do it you do it it's an interview i'm kind of excited about but antonio williams the running back that we signed from the from the bill the first hiring the first signing of the joe Shane. he's a really interesting guy we talked about nascar we talked about gaming like he's an he's an interesting guy and a little flex he said like yeah some people had reached out to me but i was waiting for you guys to reach out which made me be like number one baby. i was like that's really that's versus, really cool versus the whole damn wolf so it was actually a fun interview i might i, I might like, try and link up with them in daytona i try not to bother people but i might just bother them uh, and i think he, he's gonna make the team by the way like i really do think he's gonna make the team he said to bother us uh bother him what i like about an interview when we laugh a lot in an interview i think it's good and we laughed a lot. So I'm excited for everybody to listen to it. And I'm excited for you to hear kind of what we talked about. It was, it was a lot of football, good amount of football. And we even laughed about yeah, the football stuff minutes, too. It was, it was a fun player interview. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm excited for you all to hear. If he was a better player, if he was a well-known player, people would be like lauding this interview. I think. We're piping it up too much. It's not that good. actually. You know what? No, because this, now we're approaching the time of the year where, you know, it's, it's, it's February, you know, maybe you still have 
you know, some casual listeners in there, but now we're approaching the time of the year where news is going to start really slowing down and the diehard listeners of talking giants are listening and they're going to we're enjoy that interview the most. We're hyping it up too much. It's not that good. It's, yeah, I, I a, thought it was a, very it's a, good. It's a third string running back at best. No, it's the interview snap next year. The interview was good. I'm, I'm not saying to not hype it up. I'm trying to not hype it up. All, All right. right. And, and let's again, get out of here. It's uh we'll see you guys. Uh, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Um, we'll see you next week. Enjoy your weekend. Love you guys. Until then, let's go big blue. <laughs>